One of the things that's really unusual about this sutra that we just chanted is that it's called a sutra. So a sutra usually always, um, you can move if you want. Um, a sutra refers to the actual teachings of the Buddha, and the word sutra is uh, comes from the Pali, but we have a lot of English words because we're in the same family as Pali and Sanskrit. So the word sutra has um, correlates in our language. So the word suture and the word scripture all comes from sutra. Mm-hmm. And they all refer to the quality of, of string, of stringing something together, especially if something like stringing flowers together. So a, a sutra is a, is a, sewn, a, a, script, a suture sewing together flowers of dharma. And it refers to, it's always used for the Buddha's, Shakyamuni Buddha's teachings. And since we're now in Rohatsu Sashin, which is especially about Shakyamuni's enlightenment, Gautama's enlightenment, which Mary Carroll talked about on Sunday in a beautiful Dharma talk. So we're celebrating that enlightenment and those words, those original words and that original experience. So then we have Dogen Zenji in the year 1240, calling this writing a sutra. And he's very clear that the um, it's not about mountains and rivers or mountains and waters. It's not a sutra about. It's a sutra of the mountains and waters. It's the sutra that they're teaching. It's not just that they're teaching it. It's that mountains and waters are the sutra. So mountains and waters are the teaching revealed, Dharma, the Dharma of our school. So this is the Mountains and Waters Sutra. And I was thinking about our modern minds. We're modern. I mean, most of us are very primitive, including myself. I'm very primitive. I'm a primitive life form. Some of you are very sophisticated Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, but... Um, we are still, our minds have been shaped by all the experiences that have happened since the time of Shakyamuni Buddha, since the time of Dogen. And so maybe if we think about this, these concepts of mountains walking and mountains um, being a sutra, I think look in your mind and see if there's a little part of us that thinks, well, that's because back in those days they didn't have much science, our modern science, they really thought of mountains as magical beings. And it's true. They thought of mountains as, as living and, and place, living beings and places of magic. And in Dogen Zenji's time, uh, in Japan, the, uh, there were practices in engaging in really extreme, um, ascetic practices on mountains in order to obtain supernatural powers. So that was going on. And then, but he wasn't, he didn't follow that school. But still, were their minds really different from ours? And then does that mean we are kind of blocked from having this realization about mountains and waters? It's because we all know a little bit about geology, so we can't enter this territory. And I wonder... So I have been thinking about this and thinking about, so all of us know at least something about geology, and some of us know a lot in this room, but um, 
So all of us know, for instance, that earthquakes are just a, a geological phenomenon, right? So very few of us in this room think that that is a divine punishment, that there's an earthquake, right? Anybody have any suspicions about that? <laughs> so we know about geology a little bit, and we know that um, giant forces make mountains, right? So tremendous, unimaginable power goes into making mountains. And our Earth, which is way bigger than we can imagine, sitting here especially, but is formed of plates. Now, big plates that are in motion around this incredibly, unimaginably hot core. So Dogen probably didn't think that way. Shakyamuni Buddha didn't think that way. But we kind of, we've, this is enough, this has entered into our minds. So we know that we're walking on this calm earth, which is actually gigantic shifting plates. And in some places, the plates are just colliding like this. And when they're kind of evenly, they're not that big, they're a lot bigger than that. But when they're about the same size, some of you know more about this than I do in this room, so, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong or just go along with the story. <laughs> From what I understand, where the um, they're about the same size, they go like this, and they make mountains. So that's what's happening with the Himalayas. There's a giant movement of India shoving into that continent that China is on and making still growing mountains. And then in places like on the Pacific coast, they're not the same size, so that one of them is sliding under the other one in places. So it's called a subduction zone, and it's going under, and it's really, that's why huge earthquakes happen there, because a giant earth plate is going under another one, and mountains are forming. So the mountains in Monterey over there are still growing. They're growing at a pretty rapid rate for mountains. So there are mountains made of molten stuff. There are mountains made of granite and crystal. There are mountains made of mostly iron. There are mountains made of sand. Some of them are kind of new. Some of them are really old. Like the Appalachian Mountains are really, really, really old. And they're old and they're getting soft. They were formed about 400 million years ago, and now they're just kind of relaxing. And the Himalayas were only started being formed 60 million years ago. That seems like a really recent neighbor, and they're still piling up. And so Mount Everest is the tallest mountain on the planet, but it's still growing. And then there are mountains under sea. So does that, having all that scientific knowledge, does it detract from this the power of thinking about mountains as a sutra? It doesn't, does it? In fact, maybe the more we know about them, the more incredible mountains seem. And the more we know about water, the more incredible it is. And Maite talked about it at the retreat here, and we'll talk about that in a couple of days. But today, it's mountains. So when mountains, even when we know about how mountains are created, that starts to demonstrate a little bit of this dharma, doesn't it? I mean, our lives are shaped by powerful forces that we don't control. Mountains don't control the forces that make them. 
They don't control whether they're going to be tall mountains or um, sand mountains or underwater mountains. These forces bring things into being. Interestingly, when um, Dogen Zenji wrote this, he'd been in China, and then he came back, and he was still living in Kyoto. So sometimes people have thought that this Mountains and Water Sutra was written in the mountains where Eheji is, because it's a pretty big mountain range up there. But actually he was living in Kyoto. He hadn't yet gone into the mountains in Japan. So Kyoto is a little like uh, Houston. It's pretty flat. There are mountains in the distance. So then, uh, but there, he wasn't living in them. So when he's talking about mountains, what's he really talking about? So bringing it back to, um, to our minds, knowing something about the science of mountains still doesn't mean that that's what he's talking about. So were there parts in this sutra that we just read that were confusing, difficult to understand? Thank you. (laughs) It should be. It should be because that's actually a part of what Dogen Zenji is trying to do. He's trying to um, show us that we, we don't understand. He wasn't writing a scientific article about mountains and waters. He's writing about something much deeper than that. He's writing about mountains that walk. And Shohaku Okamura wrote a beautiful commentary about this. One thing he said was, um, we try to understand these writings of Dogen Zenji, but to try to understand is a desire that blocks meeting the sutra. So when we're trying to understand, um, we're not meeting the sutra which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this and chant it together, because it forces you to keep going. And if we're trying to understand, you stop, you read a sentence or two, try to figure it out, go on to the next sentence. But that isn't what Dogen wants us to do. He wants us to just flow like the mountains are flowing through our consciousness and to experience the reality of our life, which is... In Dogen's teaching, Soto Zen teaching, we don't understand, and it's okay to not understand, and the things that we understand are limiting. So for a gathering like this, we're trying to be in a situation where um, it's very valuable to not understand. It's really valuable to not understand. And in fact, there's an activity around understanding that we're going to do do not understand. We're going to do not understanding. You ready for that? Do you understand? Very good. <laughs> not understanding. So we're very, all of us very good at doing, and Samantabhadra, who's the bodhisattva of great activity that we chant about all the time, the reason we can have, or Samantabhadra can have this free activity is because it's not blocked by I'm going to say, just to be nice, limited understanding. Dogen would say it's not blocked by understanding, period. But we'll say it's not blocked by limited understanding. Because when we think, you know, I I don't understand, there's kind of an implication that I could understand if I just turn my mind to it. But Dogen Zenji and the person that we read about at the beginning and Shakyamuni Buddha 
woke up when they gave up trying to understand. So Mary Carroll talked about this on on Sunday, that why are we celebrating Shakyamuni Buddha? Why are we celebrate, celebrating Gautama? What did he do? One of the major things he did was give up. All of his effort at trying to um, accomplish a big change. And he did make, as Mary Carroll said, he did a lot of extreme practices, he did a lot of serious practices, and then he'd done the background work, and then he just sat down and let it come to him. That sounds a little like a mountain too, doesn't it? Just sit down, mountains sit down and let it come. Mountains sit down and let the weather come. Mountains also make weather. There's the first paragraph that we read, the second paragraph that we read refers to another important person in our in our in our uh, lineage preceptor kai of mount dayang addressed the assembly saying the blue mountains are constantly walking the stone woman gives birth to a child in the night did you relax your understanding around that no. yes no yes okay good <laughs> we sent, we chanted the preceptor Kai's name this morning in our lineage because this person is a, an important person in our lineage. Uh, Fuyo Dokai, it's in Japanese, or uh, Furong Daiyang in Chinese. I can't pronounce Chinese, but Fuyo Dokai addressed the assembly saying, The blue mountains are constantly walking, the stone woman gives birth to a child in the night. And when we read Dogen, it's not just the saying that he takes. Sometimes he just takes the saying. This is for all of you students of Dogen. Sometimes he just takes the saying and he plays with that and you you change when you've uh, absorbed that saying. But when he uses the name of the person, there's always a reason. So there's a reason when he, you know, credits somebody, quotes somebody directly. And sometimes he'll even say, Old Buddha. So that's really high praise. And he'll say, old Buddha, Matsu, and things like that. He'll refer to great teachers, uh, really uh, important change agents in the lineage. And so he, he quotes this guy, Preceptor Kai of Mount Dayang, Fuyo Dokai, Furong Dayang. He's extremely important because, for a bunch of reasons, partly because he says things like this, but also because he um, is credited with keeping Soto Zen, this thing that we're practicing, alive. So he was about seven generations after uh, Dungshan, the founder of Soto Zen, about seven generations, and it had gone into decline. One reason was it's kind of an easy thing to do to just sit facing a wall. What we're asked to do in our practice is to be present with what's actually happening and not try to do all these ascetic practices and and uh, devote our energies to something, to the extremes of something or other. So it's very hard to do this practice. And Fuyo Dokai also, as Mary Carroll described, uh, Gautama did many, many ascetic practices. He went into the mountains, he lived as a hermit, he tried to give up eating, he tried to do what Gautama Buddha did as a young person. 
He thought that the way to liberation from suffering was extreme self-denial. And then he ran into Soto Zen and decided that actually it made sense to be to live like a human being, take care of this body, and study sutras. So he is credited with bringing Soto Zen back to life. And even Rinzai teachers write praises of him. So they admired his practice of he could be as ascetic as as anybody could be, but he chose to live a balanced life. And now this phrase, what do you think about this phrase? So Dogen Zenji has then taken this one sentence by Preceptor Kai and written a, a giant poem for him. The blue mountains are constantly walking. The stone woman gives birth to a child in the night. And these are connected to our time, what we're doing now. The blue mountains are constantly walking. That, please practice not understanding. Just hold these these sentences for this practice, for this time. The blue mountains are constantly walking. The mountains flow. But the stone woman gives birth to a child in the night. I'm going to tell you a little bit about. Because this does refer to a Zen attitude about awakening. So do you know what a stone woman is? It's a common phrase back in ancient China. You know what it is? Yeah, a barren. A barren happens to be women are either fertile or barren, but it could be a man too. They just happen to say a woman. So something barren gives birth in the night. Do you get a feel for that? So here we are, human beings, full of all sorts of delusion and problems and um designs on waking up. And so one one way to do it is to do all these ascetic practices, and maybe that will get me over the edge and total awake, just like Shakyamuni Buddha. So this sentence is a bit of a commentary on that, or it's a bit of a commentary on the human attitude that we can do it. If I weren't a stone woman, I would maybe have 12 children, and they would all be awakened. There are stories like that. But this is describing a stone woman who gives birth. We're all stone women in this room. Everybody is. And due to circumstances as vast as the movement of the plates of the earth, we give birth. We wake up in the night. So this is a description of, it's a, it's a not trying to capture the feeling but trying to give a feeling of the feeling of where waking up comes from. It comes in the night. It comes outside of our efforts. Even if we think we can't do it, it will come. That's the teaching of Soto Zen. That's definitely the teaching of Dogen Zenji. And then the, um, the, poet, the poetry continues, but what I want for us is to... to practice this dynamic, being on the dynamic edge of our doing and our non-doing. Can we stay on this, this little pinnacle, mountaintop, stay in this dynamic relationship to all the doing that we do 
but also understanding the non-doing. That's what I would like us to do during this session, and to really appreciate not understanding. Because everybody in this room, everybody on our planet, um, really wants to understand, but we need to go beyond understanding. And Dogen Zenji is going to help us do that during this practice period. I mean, during this period of practice. Okay. Shall we go ahead for several more days? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, let's all say yes or no. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Mm-hmm.